We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Hotline. If you are obsessive compulsive, press 1 repeatedly. If you are codependent, ask someone to press 2 for you. If you have multiple personalities, press 3, 4, 5, and 6. If you are paranoid, we know what you are and what you want. Stay on the line and we'll trace your call. If you're delusional, press 7 and your call will be transferred to the mothership. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully and a small voice will tell you which number to press. If you're depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press, no one will answer you. If you're dyslexic, press 69696969. If you have a nervous disorder, please fidget with the hash key until the beep. After the beep, please wait for the beep. If you have a short-term memory loss, please try your call again later. And if you have low self-esteem, hang up. All our operators are too busy to talk to you. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, it is exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out all about the programming we have available for you on the Exxon TV channel that is exclusive to Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Now, as you know, Exxon Nation, this is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and Mutual Broadcast Network. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is Jennifer Stein, and she is best known for her award-winning 90-minute documentary film about the famous 1975 Travis Walton story. Jennifer has been an activist in the UFO community for about 20 years as a coordinator and founding member of the Mainline MUFON, a community, a community educational service of the Mutual UFO Network in Pennsylvania. Jennifer serves as a state section director for MUFON in Pennsylvania as well. Now, Jennifer has published articles in periodicals about UFO phenomena, precognition, synchronicity, the crop circle phenomena, as well as articles about Travis Walton's story. Joining me now is Jennifer Stein. And Jennifer, always great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
thank you so much for having me on the show. First of all, congratulations on the awards you've won and congratulations on getting the story out there and working so hard to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are not alone and that the Travis Walton fire in the sky case is real. Tell us how you got involved in that case. Well, I met Travis at a conference and uh, we... I was asked to actually help organize a conference for him, which I did for the 40th anniversary of his event. And in the process of doing that, it occurred to us that we should have some film clips up in the forest with him and the different crew members. And lo and behold, after about five years, that manifested into a really interesting documentary film, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, has now won about 28 mainstream film festival awards around the country. What makes the Travis Walton case so unique? Well, Rob, I, I think it's such a complex case. Um, the There's missing time. There's five days worth of missing time where Travis himself goes missing. There were seven witnesses to this UFO uh, encounter, not just one personal you know, testimony. And it broke in the international media as a possible missing story, a possible homicide, and mm-hmm. a UFO story all at once. So it became this overnight media sensation. And because of that, it's been hounded by skeptics and experts and researchers ever since. It's, it's really like a it's a hot potato. And literally, it's that hot potato has been thrown around the world for like 46 years now. And it's it hasn't stopped. I mean, it's going on right now yeah. as well. How has this story, the ups and downs of the story, the pro cons of the story, how has this affected Travis Walton as a person? Well, I'll tell you, Rob, he has really learned to grow a tough skin. Mm-hmm. He just cannot bother to be affected by the debunkers that are out there that say, oh, this couldn't have happened. In fact, in my documentary, at the very end of it, he makes a really funny statement. He says, you know, I wouldn't wish this experience on anybody except the skeptics who claim this never happened. He said they would be well served by having this experience. So he has just learned to digest it and put it into place. And he also really thinks that what probably most likely happened to him is he was hit accidentally by this beam or thrust or force or bolt of lightning or whatever it is that came out of this craft because he got too close to it. He ran right up underneath it because he wanted wanted to get a really good look at it. And he was thrown for like 15 feet by this zap, this Mm. bolt of electrostatic charge or lightning or whatever it was. And it probably killed him. And the crew boys who were watching this, all sitting in a truck about 100 feet away, drove away. So um, he realizes that probably what happened is these beings, whoever they are, picked them up to probably bring them back to life and to take responsibility for what had happened. Because otherwise, Travis would have been dead and these guys would have been, you know, maybe even gone to the electric chair or hung in Arizona at that time in 1975. Uh, They had he not come back, right, and he not come back alive, these boys would probably still be incarcerated for his murder. Now, Jen, what was the date of the Travis Walton abduction? It was November 5th, 1975, and it lasted till very wee early morning hours of November 11th. So he was gone a full Mm -hmm. five days before he returned and was dropped off on the side of the road outside of Heber, Arizona, when he called his family and asked for help. And, and it's very interesting that the operator in town knew his voice, really? knew who he was, because her kids had gone to school with him. And she called the local police because she listened in on the call. 
She heard his voice. She right. knew who he was. She listened in, and she called the police and said, he's back. He's back. He's out in a phone booth by Heber. But the police got there after his brother-in-law had already picked him up. So it's a, it's it's such a complex story. It really is. You know, Jen, I remember have Travis, having Travis on the show many years ago when I was at 610 CKTB. And I asked Travis if he was aware that on the day that he believes that they were coming back, not the day of the 11th, but on the 10th of November. That was the same day that the Edmund Fitzgerald sank in Lake Superior under suspicious conditions. Yes. Then, yes. Interesting. Then on, on November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day here in Canada, there were UFO sightings over the Lake Ontario, Lake Erie sightings, and the animals in all zoos within the area where these UFOs were spotted were, were acting crazy. In fact, animals from Marineland in Niagara Falls bolted out of their cages and their, and their, uh, their uh, corrals and were actually had to be, uh, uh, let me see, surrounded up by the Ontario Provincial Police on the Queen Elizabeth Highway. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. I did not know that, Rob. I know that highway well. Mm. So, <laughs> I've driven it many times. So why the skepticism? Uh, you know, it's been what? How many years now? 46. It's been 46 years. And there's this whole new renewed skepticism going on. There's this, this woman in um, the Australian outbacks, I guess, and Perth, Australia, she's come up with this whole new website called $3 Kit, and she's well-financed, and she's going after attacking these, any case, any really good UFO case that's got some kind of connection with an ET being, and of course, Travis yeah. saw two different species. So this this website in Australia is going after the Kathy. Uh, they're going after the Betty and Barney Hill story. So they've been in touch with Kathleen Martin, Martin, right? And they're going after the Travis Walton case. And honestly, Rob, I think this all relates to the June twenty sixth, uh, you know, announcement by the U.S. government, where they finally kind of came clean and said, yes, we're being visited by extraterrestrial craft. They didn't say extraterrestrial beings. <laughs> They just said craft, mm -hmm. and we know that they're here, and they outmaneuver our jets, and they t often interfere with our military operations, and we don't know who they are, we don't know what they are, and we need more money <laughs> to, to study them. That's what the U.S. said June 26th. It was this final statement we'd been waiting for. And since that point, mm -hmm. all summer long, it seems like anyone who has a really good E.T. encounter themselves with direct contact with right. an extraterrestrial being, as Travis did, then they are going to be heavily debunked. In fact, Luis Elizondo even basically came out and said that. You know, he was the Pentagon right. uh, informant that, that, that stepped out of the Pentagon in December 16th, 2017, and said, look, we've been studying these things and the American public needs to know. Mm -hmm. He has clearly said that the E.T. contact part of the experience is not going to be part of disclosure. We're only going to hear about the craft. We're not going to be able to talk about beings or contact with beings. Jennifer, I hate to, to do this to you, my dear, but uh, being in broadcasting yourself, you know that we have to take commercial breaks, so please stand by. And Exo Nation, if you'd like to uh, visit uh, Jennifer's website, visit www.mainlinemufon.com as well as Travis Walton, the movie. Dot com. 
Jennifer Stein is my guest. This is The X-Zone, and we're coming to you from our broadcast centre and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Nation. Our guest this hour is Jennifer Stein, and if you'd like to find out more about Jennifer, visit www.mainlinemufon.com as well as traviswaltonthemovie.com. But uh, later on in this segment, we're going to be talking about a super event that, uh, that, uh, that Jennifer and Travis Walton are part of. But I'd just like to get back to the, the actual case that is at the epicenter of all this, Jen, it is... I understand that there is a bit of problems between Mike Rogers as well as uh, and Travis. Where does this stem from? Is this just media garbage or is there something behind the story? Um, honestly, Rob, from my take on it, and I've been in touch with Mike directly, there's it's just basically a bunch of malarkey that a new opportunist has, has kind of stirred up and is trying to uh, make a big deal out of. Uh, there is a claim that Travis actually hoaxed this event. And when you speak to Steve Pierce or you speak to John Goulet or Kenny Peterson, you know, in Travis himself, they, they literally go, right, and how did we hoax this UFO? <laughs> and there's, there's some malarkey that this was a, uh, a fire tower. Now, these boys worked in the forest. They well knew what a fire tower looked like. They drove past them all the time. And this uh, new opportunist, I don't even remember his name. I think it's Evan or something like mm-hmm. this. He's he's taken over a couple of blog podcasts and, and they're out there saying, oh, what they did is they stopped in front of a fire tower at night and they saw that and they got scared and thought that was a UFO. And that Travis then planned this hoax that some somebody put, you know, put a flashlight down on them or right. one of those fire tower lights, you know, that they use to signal one another, like mm-hmm. a ship signaling yep. light. Somebody hit him with the light and then he jumped backwards. Now 
there was a huge thrust that freaked all these other loggers out. And two of these guys had just gotten out of the military, one out of the Army, one out of the Navy. They'd seen action, and they weren't going to be disturbed or you know upset by somebody hitting him with a beam of light they felt this in their bodies they were they saw him land without any attempt to break his fall and it was 15 20 feet from where he was standing they wouldn't have slammed the truck and driven away if they knew they were sitting in front of the gentry fire tower and they would clearly see the frame of the gentry fire tower underneath this thing and they wouldn't mistake it for a round craft you know it's uh it's really absurd what's going on but people who don't know the details of the story are rushing clamoring to find out about it it's it's really amazing to me and i think there's another reason why this is happening um and it's because when covid came right everybody got locked down in their homes and they could go on the internet they could google up their tv and they could choose more than ever before to figure out what they were going to spend their time watching and just about that time, around mm-hmm. 2019, I got this film up out on Amazon Prime. It got picked up by a distributor, and it got put in multiple languages. So it's around the world now, and people are Googling and trying to research about UFOs. Well, don't you know, this film has gone up to the top of the charts finally. I'm finally be- seeing a little bit of income coming right. in from Film Hub, which is my distributor. And when I start to see income, that means a lot of people are watching it because I'd never made anything on this film. You know, I was figured I would die before I ever made back any of my money on it, mm-hmm. which is probably still the case. But when I I start to see streaming uptick, I know people are watching it. And that's probably why people are going after debunking it, because it's starting to get out there and more and more people around the world are finally beginning to understand the incredible details to the story and what has always made it so unique. Well, uh, that's what I think, okay. at least, you know. I think that's all related. You know, I think you can't separate mm-hmm. one thing out from another. You know, the, the fact that more and more people are learning about it is why it's now becoming in the focus of, oh, we got to debunk this. <laughs> so know? tell me more about this lady in Australia. That bothers me. Yeah, I, um, I suspect, although I cannot prove it, but I suspect that there is an effort to, um, to have paid disinformants that are paid by some undercover group or an intelligence operation of some sort. We all suspected that Philip Class was paid by some you know, intelligence group oh, to yeah, kind of go yeah. after the Travis Walton case. And what's interesting is I have a lot of the Class files because I've been to what's called the American Philosophical Society here. And Philip Class's letters and communications, you know, were archived there. So I, I was reading them for years with Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin, especially around the Walton case, because I was making this documentary. And all of the things that Class sort of nitpicked on, they seem to be getting picked up again. So I think that the information from classes files are being fed right to these new younger debunkers who are savvy with things like, you know, social medias and podcast and Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. And they're putting stuff out there now in these new mediums. Whereas these older debunkers, you know, some of them are still around, still alive. There's actually quite a big website with, you know, a whole list of them, Michael Shermer and I think Robert Schaefer is on there. There's like 25 or 30 real UFO skeptics that want to go out there and just, you know, pick apart these cases. But they nitpick them to such detail that what happens is then the people who are 
following the case, mm-hmm. go and dig into those files and say, well, yeah, but you're looking at the wrong data or you're looking at it from the backside rather than the front side. Or you've picked one thing out of five things that, yes, you might leave you with some doubt. But if you look at these other five aspects of like the polygraphs, you'll right. see, no, Travis has taken so many polygraphs that the one that he failed is so insignificant because he failed a polygraph right after he came back but didn't he but abducted. didn't he but didn't he also fail a polygraph on tv with a question <laughs> asked by michael yes. Shermer? yes this was the called the moment of truth show right yeah and that has been um actually taken off the air because their policies were so unethical mm-hmm. there's a wonderful polygraph institute in new york city called global Pi- polygraph right with a phd you know guy a really great uh, guy named uh, michael martin mm-hmm. and he has written in depth like even before the show was taken off the air, right. he wrote about how their practices were absurd. But but and, but still, and Travis kind of fell for it. But but still, Michael Shermer asked a question that Travis Walton failed the lie detector with, right? Well, what Michael Shermer asked? No, no. Michael Shermer said, "Do you can you give me a piece of a UFO craft? Show show me where your evidence is." Mm-hmm. And of course, Travis doesn't have a piece of the craft. You know, right. no one does. That's the thing Philip Klass always used to say. I'll give you $10,000 if you give me a piece of a UFO. Well, you know, if if, if I think, it, it, you know, if that was possible, mm-hmm. Travis would have won the right. $10,000. But Michael Shermer just came on to kind of be like, you know, a presence. And they, di- they did that to kind of dramatize everything. But the premise of that show, you know, when you take a polygraph, you're supposed to answer five, maybe 10 questions. And you're supposed to be run on those questions at least three times and the tracings of those then get compared and they look at your, you know, skin galvanation and your reactions if your body moves or whatever and your breathing. Do you know for that show, they only ever asked a question once and they asked Travis 60 questions once. <laughs> they never ran him with multiple questions. Well, it was... The whole- premise of it was was so poorly done according to you know polygraph standards that the show yeah. got taken off the air literally the uh the governor's association came after the producers and said you can't do this this is absurd you're making people distrust you know uh the the, the process of polygraph and you're terribly bad mm-hmm. for our industry so the the association of polygraphers uh, went after them and sued yeah. them as well as a number of clients who were on the show well you know here in canada polygraph is not uh, acceptable in court Right, and it's all—it's not yeah. acceptable anywhere in the states either, yeah. except New Mexico. That's the only state where it is. So you know what Travis did after this whole debacle with no, the show? No. He went into New Mexico, got one of the top New Mexican polygraphers that does stuff for court cases, and he ran two tests himself, and he passed both of them. So he kind of he put that in his book and kind of shows people, look, if you really want to understand yeah. polygraph, here's 25 pages you can read about it. And it's in the back part of his of his book. So something yeah, something that I look at it. something that I've always wanted to know, Jen, was was Travis ever given a PSE test, psychological stress evaluation test? I don't know. I know he was examined mm. right after he came back by uh, two uh, psychiatrists, and yeah. they said to him, "You are not in the condition or the." position now you're you're in a post-traumatic shock state right Right. now and like i think november 14th or 15th he actually took um a lie detection Mm -hmm. test or a polygraph with this guy named uh john mccarthy and john had a 
pretty clear bias against Travis. In fact, was yelling at him a couple of times. There's actually an audio cassette tape of this because a number of people had tape recorders going while this polygraph was going on. But the the uh, Rosenbaums, uh, a husband and wife uh, psychiatry mm-hmm. team, said you should not take this test. The head of uh, the APRO organization, the Aerial Phenomenon Research Group, said to right. Travis, you know, G- Jim Lorenzen said, you're in no position and no place to take this test. All right, right Jen, now. we've got to take fail it. All it will show is that you're under extreme stress, which is what it did yeah. show. Jen, we've got to take our news break. Please stand by. Exonation. Jennifer Stein is our special guest. www.traviswaltonthemovie.com And uh, this is a website I'd like you to check out later because we're going to be talking to Jennifer about it. TheObservationDK.com. That's TheObservationDK.com. We'll talk more about TheObservationDK.com and the event that it's associated with when we come back from this commercial break. I'm Rob McConnell. This is The X-Zone. Don't go away. The internet can be a goldmine for identity themes. Hey, big score? Six-pack of passports. You? A couple social security numbers. Ah, well, beats real work, right? (laughs) (laughs) It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Identity theft protection starts here. And welcome back, everyone. Jennifer Stein is my very special guest this hour. And uh, her website, there's two websites right now. MainlineMufon.com and TravisWaltonTheMovie.com. But this segment, Jennifer, I'd like to talk to you about the Travis Walton International Skyfire Summit that is being held online on November the 6th of this year. Tell us about it. Well, it's, it's interesting how this developed, you know, ever since we did the 40th anniversary and we launched this film, mm-hmm. which we, we did a conference in Hebrew, Arizona, where this whole event took place for people in the town to finally come out and get the full story because it's a small, you know, Mormon community up there. So we started an anniversary screening of the film that I did almost every year somewhere on the anniversary weekend of this November 5th event. So we've had them on the West Coast, we've had them on, in the East Coast, we've done some in New York City, we've, we've, we've screened over the last six years. This year, some producers in California came to me and said, let's screen the film virtually online and then do a full day event at a virtual platform. 
where people can link in from all over the world. And I said, well, that's really a great idea because I'm getting emails right now Mm -hmm. from people all over the world who are saying, Jen, you're in the best position to, you know, speak about this case, talk about the debunking that's going on, pull up the details, put up archive video. So we're doing a full day intensive on some of the forensic details of this case. We've got a filmmakers panel where a bunch of filmmakers like Tracy Torme, who did the Hollywood uh, Fire in the Sky film Mm -hmm. that uh, they launched in 1993 about this case. That's what made it so popular as well. Not many UFO cases have a Hollywood film made about them like Travis has had. So Tracy Torme will be on with us and we'll have all, most all of the logging crew. We're reaching out to them now. We're still waiting for Kenny Peters to get back to us, but we'll probably have comments from everyone, including we'll have Travis there and he'll do a Q&A at the end of the day. So anyone can can log on to this virtual conference and get to connect and ask questions with Travis directly. And it's, um, it's, it's the outpouring of support and curiosity about Travis's case has been overwhelming. I mean, I'm getting like five, 600 emails a day. I can hardly keep up with them, but it's really going to be very special. And explanation, if you'd like to get more information on how you can participate with this, this event that I'm sure is going to open up a lot of eyes and end a lot of questions, uh, visit uh, www.theobservationdk.com. $10 U.S. is the cost. And if you're a ufologist, if you're a researcher, if you're a believer, or if you're a skeptic, $10, come on, gang. You'll have, you'll see it all. You'll hear it all. And once again, that's www.theobservationdk.com. And that's for the Travis Walton International Sky Fire Summit. Now, Jen, since uh, Travis's event going back all those years, has he been approached by any other extraterrestrials? Has he had an encounter? Has he had any psychic phenomena that would lead one to believe that he is still connected to the ETs in some way? No, no. I, he says it's, it was a one-off kind of a deal. Although I will say Travis has had some sightings, as, as a number of us have. I think, you know, I, I've had my own sightings too. That's how I got into this. But he, he actually was driving home from a conference with, a, a, I think, his son and a couple of people were in the car with him. And they actually witnessed one of those um, TR-3B or black triangle things that was pretty big. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing was, he said, if you'd opened up a newspaper and held it up above your head, you wouldn't have blocked out this thing. My and gosh. they were right on a, a highway, right in, I think it was Route 5 going north in Los Angeles towards, you know, they were heading out of town, heading mm-hmm. back to Phoenix from from L.A. And they saw this thing and a lot of other people on the highway had to see it, too. Um, now, so he has had some sightings, but mm-hmm. he's not had any other contact or abductions. No. A- am I correct in, in understanding that the connection between the bolt of light that uh, that hit Travis that may have somehow uh, injured him, mm-hmm. that the reason why the ETs took him up was to take care of him? Probably that's the conclusion that Travis has finally come mm-hmm. to, and we we go we give Travis a good opportunity in our documentary to kind of really discuss that. I think that's what he really be- has come to believe that he was probably killed mm-hmm. by this, or if not, he was severely injured and might have died from it. But but in and, the but in the beginning, Jen, that wasn't the case, was it? 
Well, Travis didn't quite know how to articulate it. Mm. And he was so accused of hoaxing this event because nobody could believe it. But his story hasn't really changed. I think it just took the hindsight of being now like 67 years old and looking back on the whole thing and going, you know, had they killed me, all those boys would have gone to jail or hung. And we would all be dead, right? (laughs) So it's probably good they picked me up. Sure. But, you know, and and he doesn't really remember much from that period of time. But he Mm -hmm. does remember interacting with two different species on board that craft. What were those two species? Can you explain them to our audience? Of course. Sure, sure, sure. And we're going to go into depth in that on our virtual day as well. We're going to show the virtual reenactment we created for the documentary. Oh, but basically, great. he wakes up on a on a gurney, mm-hmm. and he's he's can he can't see and he can't hear very well, and he's going in and out of consciousness, and he doesn't know how long that is. But he knows he's being cared for, and he thinks he's in a hospital. And he's got this device across his chest. And finally, he can start to focus his eyesight on this device that's on his chest, which he said was like a semicircle curvature metal type of structure that was thick and it had light coming out of it and heat coming out of it and his shirt was like pushed up he still had his clothes on he wasn't naked but his mm-hmm. his shirt and his jean jackets were pushed up and this thing was laying right across his chest and then he realized finally once he could focus his eyes on this device he could focus his eyes a little further and he saw these gray beings with big eyes and you know indistinct features and pale skin looking over him looking at him like oh my god he's coming too yeah and so Travis freaked out. He hits them, pushes them back, finds the strength eventually to jump up off this table. He grabs a device and tries to wail it at them and screams at them to get that, you know, heck away mm-hmm. from them. And then they don't know what to do. They try to kind of lift their hands up and maybe mentally make a mental block on him or something or control him. And they can't because he's probably been electrocuted and he's freaked out and he's screaming at him. So they leave. And they they walk out of this room he's in, which is like a small, low-ceilinged, dimly lit, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe some kind of medical room he's in. And so he follows them out thinking he's going to try to find his way out of this craft. And he finds his way into what we call the observation room. We've called it that or the navigation room. He, He finds his way into a room with a single chair with a bunch of buttons on it. And he goes up to this chair and realizes when he gets close to the chair, there's a proximity sensor in the room when uh-huh. he walks on the floor. And the, the room becomes a 360-degree like planetarium, floor, wall, ceiling, and it's a star map. And he's freaked out by this. And he starts to push the buttons on the, the this chair in the room. It's kind of like an egg-shaped maybe you know, chair for the ETs, I guess, to Mm -hmm. sit in and control the navigation of the craft, he guesses. And all of a sudden, the star map is changing. So everything is moving around him. And he's like freaked out and nauseous. He can hardly breathe as it is. It's very musty and stuffy in there. And he's got pain in his chest. He's dehydrated. He's weak. He's got heart palpitations going on. And this being appears in the door that he thinks is human. Looks just like you and I, blonde hair, blue eyes, a little bit of a strange eye, a goldeny blue, large eye. And the person is big, like a little bigger than you and I might be, maybe seven feet tall, very muscular, blue jumpsuit. He thought it was like an astronaut. You know, he said it looked like somebody from Star Trek, right? They was there to rescue him. So he runs up to him thinking he's human and he can hear him and he can understand him. Right. 
And he starts babbling at this guy, and the guy leads him off this little disc-shaped craft they were on into this big hangar of sorts, this big, like, aircraft hangar of some sort. And he, he Travis looks around, he sees the disc they're walking off of, and then he sees these other discs, which is very interesting because these look like shiny, large eggs, like we've been hearing the Tic Tacs. Travis was describing a Tic Tac back in 1975, Right. Forty five years before we met David Fravor and we know about, you know, the USS Nimitz and what mm-hmm. went on in California. It's very interesting. Well, then Mork and Mindy, yeah. Mark, Mork and Mindy, they also yeah. had the egg shaped uh, craft that Mork came to Earth on. So, <laughs> uh-huh. And those look like large eggs. Maybe, yep. maybe. I yep. mean, who knows? A lot of those producers, you know, like Gene Roddenberry, they were probably being fed stuff. <laughs> By who? Right. I mean, there's a lot of theories like that. Sure. That they were literally being fed stuff so that people wouldn't take it seriously if it did come out. All right. You and I have to get ready for our final break, Jen. Great talking to you and congratulations on everything that you're doing. Thanks. All right. Exo Nation, Jen Stein is our special guest. And once again, if you'd like to get more information on the online event on November the 6th, it's 10 bucks game. Come on. Get your wife, get your grandma, get somebody if you can't afford 10 bucks. And if you can't afford 10 bucks, then you shouldn't be in ufology. Because people in ufology, believe it or not, do all their research on their own dime. That's how dedicated they are. Visit www.theobservationdk.com. And the event is Travis Walton International Sky Fire Summit. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at no news this time. Uh, just the break. We'll be back on the other side of the break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exome from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome back to the Exxon. Before we get back to Jennifer Stein, uh, we came back with the, into this segment with uh, Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive with his song, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Now, just listen to this, Exxon Nation. There's a lot going on in the world today that is newsworthy. But you know what the Canadian media was reporting on and some of the international uh, media was reporting on? That, and, uh, that Randy Bachman's lost guitar was found after 20 years in Japan. Big deal. 
I don't understand the newsworthiness of that. Here you've got stories of people being abducted by extraterrestrials who are having extraterrestrial encounters, who are having UFO sightings, and everything that goes along that track, and they're not getting the news coverage, but what is? Randy Bachman traced his guitar that was stolen out of a Toronto hotel room. It was found in Japan. Yeah, so what? I don't understand it, Jen, do you? <laughs> well, we all like rock and roll. What can we say? <laughs> I, I know. We all love rock and roll. But with other stories in the news that are more prevalent. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We've got so many pressing issues in the world. And, you know, who knows if the UFO phenomenon is the most pressing. But certainly, if you really wrap your brain yeah. about what's going on, it is the most profound step in consciousness we will begin to make as a human species when we begin to accept the fact that we are not alone in the universe. And that that uh, precipice is starting to break wide open. Jen, let me ask you this. You've been studying UFOs for years. You're a, uh, you're a state section director for MUFON. In your opinion, and I'm just asking for your opinion, Jen, Okay. Do you think that these extraterrestrials pose a threat to humanity? Not in the least. From what I know, they have been here preserving and protecting the planet. And that's why so many of our spiritual traditions mm -hmm. show beings with, you know, glowing orbs over their head and, you know, loving kindness and here right. to protect us. I think a lot of our religious traditions come from them. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to the people in the military, which is why and how I ended up getting involved in MUFON, right? You talk to the people who aren't allowed to talk. I've never been in the military. I've never been guarding nuclear weaponry, right? But you talk to the people who have, and they say time and time and time again, these ETs are rendering our minute man missiles and things uh, inert. In fact, there's a really interesting event coming up. I'll just plug it because people might want to know about it. Sure. Next week, uh, Steve Bassett is running an event in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club, and he's having Michael Solis uh, speak. I'm sorry, yeah. is it Michael? It's, a, it's an author. His name is Solis. I'm, uh, Captain Solis. Right. I'm blanking on his first name. He was in the military, and he was running a, uh, you know, guarding uh, a Minuteman missile mm -hmm. in, uh, out in Minnesota somewhere yep. in the Midwest, a Maelstrom Air Force Base it was, 1967, and UFOs showed up over top of it, shot beams down into mm -hmm. it. Well, first they lifted the whole covers off this Minuteman missile. They just picked the covers up, and these are the each cover is the size of about three semis. It's thick, it's long, right? They just picked these things up and threw them like they were Tinker Toys, shot a beam down into this missile, first turned it on like it was going to detonate and go off, right? Then shut it down. And they did this time and yeah. time and time and time and time again in Russia and in the United States and in hopefully Korea and in other places around the world where we have nuclear weapons. And they've been underground. Yeah. I mean, they've been under under the water with nuclear subs tracing them and hitting them with beams. So what they're really doing is they're saying, whoa, 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 slow down with mm -hmm. these toys you're playing with because you're going to blow up the whole planet and you're going to do damage out there in the greater solar system. And, you know, you, we don't need you messing up in this 
perfect, fragile little world you have. Jen, why do you think Michael, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Stephen Bassett is doing this again? Because he's done this a couple of times with Salas. Yes, he has. Yeah. Steve is a great guy, and he's uh, he's been fabulous in what he's been doing. He's doing an event uh, at the National Press Club, and I believe it is next Wednesday at like 11 o'clock or 11 a.m. I'll see if I can find it in my emails here. And it's uh, about nuclear weapons. Really? Eh? And uh, Robert Salas is yep. his guest who will be speaking about the Maelstrom Air Force Base event. So you can go to paradigmresearch.com mm -hmm. and learn about that. And it's also something you can connect in via Zoom as well. No, no. And but I, my, my question is, why do you think he's redoing it again when it's already been, been done before? Oh, well, we have such a threat of accidental nuclear detonation mm -hmm. in our world that so many people live oblivion to. But there is a huge threat of accidental nuclear explosions. I see. And um, we're putting pressure, I think, on these ET species to help protect our planet and Steve realizes the significance of that, and it's the way to wake people up. I mean, we need to have congressional hearings on this subject. We haven't had that since 1967, right? It's like, wake up. The, you know, the world's got to come together on the most important issues of our day. Jen, what was, and, your, what was your UFO experience? I saw a craft at 5.30 in the morning that was about 90 feet long and about six or seven feet high that was a brilliant white undulating square rectangle of light that woke me up outside my bedroom window. And that was 1975, the same year as Travis's event. But I'll tell you, Rob, it stayed in my gray box for 25 years because I didn't think anybody else had the same experience I did. And lo and behold, I realized 25 years later that a friend sleeping on another floor of my house saw the exact same thing I did. We had probably some missing time. We don't think we were abducted, but I think sometimes when you encounter craft that are interdimensional craft like this, it can throw off what we know of as normal time somehow by interdimensional interfaces of some sort, but um, anyway, I, when I realized he had the same experience I did, and we never talked about it at the time, that's when I stepped into the UFO field, because I had to begin to unpack this for myself. Mm -hmm. Either I was going to leave it in my gray box and right. go about my merry life and never think about it again, or I was going to really unpack it. And when I unpacked it, I realized I'd had this experience, and it was time to give myself permission to read a couple of books and go to a couple of UFO conferences, right? And that's when I got involved in MUFON, and that's when I started making documentary films. So prior to your first film, had you had any experience in the film industry? Well, not really. What, what I'd done is mm -hmm. I started making... Um, I had an events coordination business in Philadelphia, and I did weddings, bar right. mitzvahs, you know, yeah. corporate events. I did conferences. I was an organizer. And I started to film them with my home video camera in order to promote the next event, you know, and to show clients what I could do. Mm -hmm. Then nonprofits came to me and said, hey, could you did such a great job with that nonprofit event you ran? Could you do some film work for us? Then I got into advertising and film work, and then that led into documentaries, <laughs> and then that led me to Travis, and, and the rest coordinating is, his conference and doing a film for him. And the rest is history. 
And the rest is history. I'm one of those people that probably shouldn't step into things, and then I do. And I'm such a perfectionist, I drive myself and everybody else around <laughs> me nuts. But I end up doing usually a good job with stuff. Yeah. And then it, uh, you know, it evolves. Jen, we've got about two minutes left. I'd like to get your 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 comments on the Phoenix Light sighting. I think it was one of the most significant sightings in history. Over 10,000 people saw this large triangular craft fly right over the city. In fact, over the whole state of Arizona. It started in Flagstaff. It went down to Tucson, turned around and came back. And people still want to say it never happened. But Fife Symington came forward and said, I saw it, even though I debunked it. <laughs> he was the governor at the time, and he debunked the whole thing at the time. But then later with James Fox, he came forward and said, oh, yeah, I really saw it. Wow. So it was huge. I'm very good friends with Lynn Katai, too, who produced her film, The Phoenix Lights. Yeah, She's Dr. like Lane, me. Yeah. She's a doctor who was, you know, ended up making a film because nobody would take it seriously. Jen, we've got about one minute left. What are your final words to the Exo Nation around the world tonight? I'm going to tell them, don't miss this opportunity. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to the observation uh, DK. It stands for DEC, but it's really just DK.com. Sign up for this event. It's a full-day event. We're going to start at, like, probably 11 o'clock East Coast time, but we're going to go till midnight. We're going to have a series of panels of different people, filmmakers, investigators. We're going to mm -hmm. go into forensic detail. Wow. You're going to learn things you never knew about this UFO case. And and the reason we're doing it is because there's been an, literally an international outcry around the world to, to, to my front door and to Travis's and to some of the other people involved in this case to really answer these questions. And that's what exactly we're going to do. Jen, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success in Dexonation. If you'd like to be part of the Travis Walton International Skyfire Summit, 10 bucks, people. Come on, go around, collect bottles, bring them to the store, cash in, do whatever you need to do in order so that you can be part of this once in a lifetime or this starting of a lifetime event. www.theobservationdk.com. That's www.theobservationdk.com. TheObservationDK.com. And for more information on Jennifer, visit... All right, you got your pencils and paper ready? Okay, here we go. MainlineMufon.com and TravisWaltonTheMovie.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario. that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba.